Hello, hello, and welcome to The Shortcast, the home of all things talent assessment, technology, and employee development. In this episode, I am thrilled to be joined by my colleagues, Stephanie Sands, and a good friend, Stefan Ladane. Stefan is the head of product innovation at RHI International, where he oversees their strategic use of data and technology to develop some really cool ways of understanding and assessing leadership talent. He's also the director of Eternal Remedy, a super cool art collective based out of Toronto. I invited Stefan onto the shortcast as we've known each other for nearly a decade and both spent a significant amount of time and energy thinking about how to build creative teams and organizations. This is an issue I think we can all agree is critical, especially given the change and disruption that 2020 has brought us. Stefan, thank you for joining. How has 2021 been for you so far? Thank you, Reese, for such an excellent, exhaustive introduction. It is an absolute pleasure being here amongst the brilliant minds of Deeper Signals <laughs> who are behind the brilliant product that Deeper Signals puts out. Uh, so 2021, wow, what a time, <laughs> what an era. It's been a ride for all of us, and I think we are landing, if not converging, at a point in our history where these sort of conversations take on new height and meaning because we now have the mental space and ability to really rethink all the norms and Mm -hmm. customs and institutions that brought us here and to revisit if they still serve us. So this is the era of innovation for me. Interesting. I like that. I like the optimistic uh, spin that you have rather than humanity just reverting uh, back to kind of the way it was. It's going to be using this time to rethink and repurpose. So Stefan, then like given that, what does creativity look like within organizations? Let's just start there really broad. How did we do creativity before and kind of where are we going now, given that we're in this in-between phase between redefining, you know, the way that we work? Absolutely. And I think what that question does suggest is an important distinction and a a timely distinction between creativity as an artistic and creative production mode and creativity as a pathway towards organizational and corporate innovation. And the reason why I want to highlight that is because research has actually recently been released about how we over-index on openness Mm -hmm. in organizations and under-index on openness in creative production otherwise. And why that's useful is because we tend to think that creativity is just about ideas generation, about novelty and newness and, and inspiring a sense of wonder. When that sort of essence is very is very enjoyable or is very um, sought after in the outside world of arts and movies and writing and paintings and such, it's not that useful in the organization. Good creativity is actually, for me anyhow, the structures and parameters and habits that allow ideas to flourish and are allow them to be executed for for bottom line improvement, really. That's a brilliant definition. I think it's a much more eloquent way of saying uh, the idea can't just be novel. It must be useful. It must be tangible. It must be actionable. I think that's like, you know, you really hit on the point where, you know, the last kind of maybe 10, 15 years has been a very, not affluent, but it's 
we've been operating from maybe a place of safety, like especially corporate say, right? And there hasn't been mm-hmm. real kind of challenge. Yes, there's been disruption, but I guess it's looking, when you compare it to a pandemic, it's very kind of aesthetic and kind of surface level. And so, yes, you know, previously creativity may look very um, auxiliary and kind of just gold plating things. Whereas now there is uh, a real need to innovate, to survive, right? It's like kind of out of discomfort does real innovation um, take place because it's a means to an end rather than just incremental or kind of cranking the handle um, just because you need to innovate, quote unquote. Absolutely. I think that was very eloquently said and brilliantly conceptualized. And I think the focus that we're trying to underscore here is that creativity within organizations in that setting needs to come alive in a very tangible way Mm -hmm. or it's not evaluated as purposeful or useful otherwise whereas creativity outside of that setting can be much more fluid and exploratory and doesn't need to have rooting in concrete things in the same way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's a good point it's like I think that's maybe like a way to think about or separate creativity and innovation, right? Creativity may be uh, a much more uh, human endeavor that doesn't need tangible value, whereas innovation is something that needs to be practical and doesn't necessarily need to be kind of this, uh, you know, idea driven or kind of, it doesn't need that kind of spark of human ingenuity. It's about here's a problem and this is what we need to solve and this is how we're going to go about doing it. So it's like uh like a big C, little C, maybe there's like a big I and a little I. Like there's incremental innovation, then there's big innovation. And ultimately, innovation within an organizational context has got to be more practical. Is, is that That's kind of what you're saying. I think that's exactly it. And I, I think as practitioners in the innovation space, even as a vendor or a consulting firm like uh, Deeper Signals, what we need to... Uh, put forward as the value add is that we're giving novel ideas legs and life Mm -hmm. in a way that is difficult to operationalize otherwise, because if it's just novel ideas, I don't think anyone can purport any shortage of that in their organizations. It's more so how do these novel ideas um, flow into value generation? So where does data come in, Stefan? Because I know, you know, we all have similar backgrounds. We we love data. We love making data-driven decisions. But how does that play into creativity and innovation, uh, in your opinion? You know, I saw an interesting tweet yesterday um, from someone in the marketing industry or advertising, actually, and saying, you know, this business is an art and a science, but are we leaning too heavily on the science and relying too much on data to inform our decisions? Have we lost touch with, you know, the art, the gut feel? And I was just thinking more about that balance um, and how you achieve that in creative spaces. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Absolutely. And this is probably very utopian and hippie of me, but I do think the gentle blend and marriage of the two is where you're finding the right sweet spot for meaningful progress. And what that means is that we can't over-index on science at the expense of being able to uh, have new ideas flow, meaning that if there isn't any readily tangible 
um, outcome that ideas can be thrown away. And I think that introduces us gracefully into the idea of failure and systematizing failure in a way that's productive. And so where organizations have an opportunity to really leverage creativity in the in their space is creating parameters around what it means to fail and learn from that failure, mm. creating mm. Uh, learning as a mode of being within the culture so that there is, there is usefulness to experimentation and novel ideas. The, the key for me is to Re- repurpose what failure means. And that's what you can do through science. So as you're drawing on data, you can see where and how ideas are working or not and learn from that data instead of using data as a way to replace or uh, eliminate ideas themselves. Interesting. I like that idea. It's yeah. definitely putting, because I think that's it, right? There is always this inherent tension, at least in the surface, that it's either one or the other. It's data or kind of uh, intuition. And what you're describing is that like one can lead into the other. You can have data to shape innovation, to contextualize and support failure, which is something I want to go back to in a second, to actually bring about innovation. So then like picking up on that, that failure thread, um, you know, one thing, and this may just be me as uh, a slightly pessimistic person, is that, you know, it annoys me. All we see and hear is about kind of success of entrepreneurs, of of new ventures, of innovation, of new products. Very rarely do we talk about that failure of like, you know, the the fact that it takes, you know, nine times, out of 10 times of trying a new startup, only uh, nine of them are going to fail, for example, right? And that's, I think there's a lot of evidence to to document that. What can we do then within organizations, particularly in virtual teams, to allow and support that failure that's necessary for innovation to occur? Because I think there's two kind of levels to this. Like one, or how do you build a, a psychological safety within virtual teams? But then how do you then support that failure and in, encourage it? knowing that you're going to have to throw multiple darts at the dartboard before kind of one one lands. I think it's a classical people management dilemma repurposed in, I guess, more abstract context through failure. And so for me, what sits at the core of it is a spirit of ex- experimentation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that's fluffy language for saying, is the ability to ask questions, try new things, see things differently, baked into cultural norms and habits. If, if that isn't present, then failure becomes a daunting, heavy, and potentially consequential endeavor. And th- the problem with that, as many entrepreneurs and even larger firms can attest to, is that mm-hmm. It takes quite a few failures before you find something right. And so if you don't begin failing, you are, you are slowing down the process of finding something good. And I think it all comes from a short-term fear-mongering sort of narrative that suggests that you must be perfect at the beginning, mm-hmm. that you must be so smart and so refined and so practice that whatever you put out in in terms of innovation must be a hit right away. And I think um, data would suggest and and history would suggest that 
has never been the case. And so unless you have at your core a spirit of experimenting as a core a variable of culture, you're missing out on a real opportunity to get to solutions faster. That's a great point, Stefan. And it starts with hiring, right? Hiring managers aren't typically looking for candidates. Um, they are so they are more now, you know, looking for curiosity, experimentation. But um, traditionally, they're trying to find those high performers that, from the get go, will offer the best solutions. Um, you will be the smartest, the the brightest, the the most efficient performers. Yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, it's a classic problem many teams have, and we've discussed this in our team meetings and client calls. How do you, uh, you know, hire diverse team members, create diverse teams, but achieve that psychological safety and that environment where the group can offer those different perspectives, but they are also cohesive and speaking the same language and working effectively together? Yes, it's it's such a valiant point. Again, timely. And I, I think to go back to the, your question really is what can we do? And yeah. that's, that's certainly what leaders at their, uh, in their quiet reflection wrestle with. I, I think somewhat intuitively, we know that we need to allow for um, deviance. We need to accommodate deviance, but literally what can we do? And I think, again, going back to structures, I'm a, I'm a big fan of good policy. I think good policy is uh, the right prerequisite to good practice. And without good practice, you can't um, have good production. And so policies such as enabling or empowering everyone to contribute to the innovation agenda, Mm -hmm. making it a decentralized aspect of the business, as much as now marketing is, and certainly as employee well-being is, making... um, creative idea generation uh, available and open to everyone. So having forums for ideas, having loose conversations, maybe even more tangible forums like Slack, for example, where you can just shoot the shit, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the the policies must revolve around uh, encouraging and emboldening the workforce to, to have their say in this work. What what that does is twofold. Not only do you get the opportunity to actually have new ideas, but you also allow people to connect to the agenda. And I think that's where the the culture shift actually starts beginning to take tangible form. When people feel as though they are connected and they are autonomous in their ability to see the organization progress and evolve as it um, tries to innovate. Mm-hmm. And then and to that point then, like how can we encourage those things within the virtual working environment? Because I think, you know, there's mm-hmm. obviously, it's kind of a, a drawn out conversation now about kind of, are we going back to the office? Are we not? And I think, okay, let's just be practical. It's likely <laughs> going to be a combination of both. And I think that's enough said in it. But it's like, how can we encourage those kind of behaviors, create that vision, create that culture? Um, when the only more the only forms of communicating are through Slack and Zoom and, and email, what behaviors should we be modeling um, as leaders as well as kind of colleagues to support that that culture for for creativity and innovation? 
Funny enough, I think research would suggest that now is the best sort of time for us to try and innovate. I, I think what needs to happen as a pillar for good innovation is actually intergroup connectivity. Feeling like people are aligned to a similar intent, they have their their purpose and motivation connected to each other, but also more so that they're able to contribute equally. So I think the group sort of infrastructure is key. And where where the new online programs and forums lend themselves to that is you can now send a message. We'll, we'll take Slack again, for example, yeah. promoting for them. So um, <laughs> we'll take Slack, for example. You can send a message at any time of day on Slack and it, uh, it can find itself in a thread that everyone reads. You can send private messages. You can create sub forms that aren't necessarily for projects or for direct operational work-related matters. You can create spaces that are inviting and psychologically mm-hmm. safe, explicitly so, in yeah. a way that you couldn't necessarily do in the in the office. And so I think now there's actually a plethora of options for you. It's it's an introvert's yeah, dream yeah. because the, the, the typical boardroom or the typical meeting setting is daunting and has norms that didn't necessarily invite those people into the conversation. Yeah, I really like that idea. It's like um, going back to like the early days of the internet where all you had was like message boards and how that formed communities and the creativity of the early days of the internet and what that kind of led to. There is kind of an opportunity there to what you've described is to kind of capture some of that and encourage these subcultures and subgroups within your organization to spur some of that innovation. So Stefan, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been absolute fascinating conversation for those people that are listening and want to learn more about your work at rhr or at eternal remedy what's the uh the best place to uh to come find you i am a very curious person so i will put out my twitter first and i want you to throw questions my way and i'll just return more questions that is sladane at twitter.com <laughs> so s-l-e-d-a-i-n and you can email me at my rhr email which is also s-l-e-d-a-i-n at rhrinternational.com perfect thank you so much stephanie stefan thank you pleasure is mine thank you for having me